up, everybody? This is Trump Black History. I'm your boy, Brandon Collins. And with me for our first rebooted episode, wow. an incredible guest. So excited to have him on. DJ Ben Hameen, how you doing, bro? I'm doing great. I did not realize that this is your first rebooted episode, so... This is quite an honor, so thank you very much. Absolutely, man. It, you know what's dope is, like, you and I have known each other for quite some time, like, mm-hmm. a few years. Yeah. Right? And, like, we've, I've just, like, met Pre-COVID. You. Yeah, pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. Yeah, definitely and, pre-COVID. And it's wild because, like, you randomly, like, will come into my life. Like, we'll, <laughs> like I could be, like, just hanging out, and I'll see you. Or, like, I'll be after, like, a, a Marvel screening. Mm-hmm. I'll see you on the train. We could talk shit about Ant-Man 3. Wow. Because, remember, we shared that trauma together. Mm. We were, like, we were the only people... For a few days, that knew how bad Ant-Man 3 was it's, before the world discovered. It's like the negative version of when I saw Black Panther the first time. Like, <laughs> like when I saw Black Panther the first yeah. time, it was like two weeks before most people saw it. Oh, so shit. I had to sit there and hold it like, yo, this is fucking movie. Yeah. You know, for like two weeks. And then, um, yeah, when I saw Ant-Man, I decided to hold it like, yeah, this fucking movie for like two yeah, weeks. Yeah, man, you became like my go-to, like, <laughs> talking about, talking shit about Marvel screenings. Yeah. Movies, before, you know, after screenings, because... I was like, when I saw the Marvels press screen, mm. I'm like, pretty sure DJ Ben Hamid is here. And so I like messaged you. I was like, this movie was ass too, right? And you like, yep. besides Tiana's ass, like this movie was ass. <laughs> like it was terrible. But it's like, I appreciate being able to talk to like another black person about like these movies because sometimes you know you like we're surrounded by white people at these screenings, oh. and it's hard to like be real, you know, because we don't want to talk shit about. I'll step in front of them, you know. But. I was just talking to my man DJ Lowkey yesterday, and he just saw it like the day before, and he was ranting to me about how terrible it was, and so it just brought it all back for me. And then Honest Trailers <laughs> dropped it yesterday, and oh word, yeah, oh, and I mean they dulled it too, and they were right. The only thing that's good about it is um, Iman Vellani and yep. you know Tiana's. You know, mm-hmm. yep, yep. <laughs> she's a beautiful woman. You know, but uh, you know, before we get to our subject, first I gotta, gotta cheers you up. Okay, there we go. Thank you, sir. Drinking. Yeah, drinking Uncle Nearest uh, whiskey, mm. the finest of the, the whiskeys in my opinion. I did not know. I've never, I've never had Uncle Nearest, but he's become quite dear to my heart. And you know, <laughs> short well, time. You mentioned whiskey is like your favorite, like pretty know, much all I drink these days. Um, Bullet. Okay. Um, uh, doers and when I'm really you know feeling like I'm living a good life, McAllen, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's when you feel like you you made something. Yeah. I had a productive week. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Celebrate. Yeah, I'm gonna celebrate with the good stuff. So okay, yeah. okay. But now, I'm barely drinking these days, so this is you know. Was that mm. just like a New Year's resolution, or are you just it's like even been before New Year's? I DJ a lot, and that's you know when I'm DJ. But I mean, mm-hmm. and as you. When you're doing like three or four gigs a week and you're drinking at every one of them, that's not good. So mm. I had to like I just zeroed it out at work and that pretty much stopped me from drinking anywhere okay. else because yeah, that's all you're gonna get. So got it. So tell me tell me about your, your history, man. Like what got you into like DJing? Like you know, because that's that's your moniker, right? So like what what started the love of music that then made it seem like I want to be the person that curates music for crowds and like. Wow, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I was just talking about this. I've been doing a lot of talking on threads about DJing, and I it was girls straight up. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really challenge any DJ like if it's not of the opposite, you know, of someone you're attracted to. I think that drives a lot of DJs. You know, at least for it definitely did for me. I was in high school and uh, the 
DJ was setting up for the high school dance, and all of the girls I had crushes for on were standing around him watching him set up. And I was like, this dude ain't even playing music, and they're there. So I was like, I need this in my life. Yeah. And I already liked music. It wasn't a love then. Okay. But it was that. And then what really, because that made me interested. I'm seeing the girls. But it was um, one night I was watching videos and DJ Premier and the Dwit video, and he's cutting oh, on the sure. beach. Yeah. And once again, there's girls all around him. But he's cutting on the beach, you know, and it's N-I, Greg, N-I-C-E. And I was just, it blew my mind. You know, I'm just like, what? You know, you can talk with your hands like that? You know, that's fucking nuts. And, you know, and then I find out Premier's from Houston. That's where I grew up at. And, you know, like he worked at the record store I went to. I met him back then, all that type of stuff. And so it just became like I wanted to be Premier. That was it. That was my goal. That was life for me was be, you know, DJ Premier and uh, join Digital Underground. Wow. Wow. Damn, man. And so... <laughs> as a background, just, <laughs> just be in Digital Underground. I just wanted to be in the group. That's what's up, man. Yeah. So you, you grew up in, in Houston. Mm-hmm. Were you, like, raised there, too, or...? Yeah, I was born in uh, unbelievably Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay. And then we moved to Houston when I was, like, three. And I was raised... Like, I'm a Houstonian, you know, third okay. ward shot... In any picture you see me, I'm always doing this, and people either think it's like white power, <laughs> would be weird, um, but or Kappas because yeah. Kappas do a similar thing, but it's third ward. That's why you always see me doing that in any picture. They're like that's the signal for Watchmen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's no, the eye. It's always the tray, you know. Yeah. That's the tray for me. So yeah. So what we like, what, what you know, drum black history is about like black education and like educating folks about unsung black heroes or mm-hmm. like you know events that. Haven't gone through a do mm-hmm. right, and so I like to ask people about their their history growing up and like what you learn about Black history because Texas, as we all know, has a weird oh it's take on history. You know, I mean, I've had people, I've had Black folk tell me, yo, down here in Texas, they act like slavery was a, was a choice, mm-hmm. like they just held up a help wanted sign, and like Black people came through. It was different, like Houston especially is different to this day. It's different, and then growing up, you know, nineties especially when I was in. High school is different. Like, okay. it was just, it was openly racist. Like, I had someone say nigger, you know, to me in my face, referring to me while I was, like, 10 years old. Jesus. And, I mean, nonchalantly. Like, this, uh, I can say it now, you know, it, it's still tough for me to say, but he was like, yeah, I don't know these niggers keep coming in here while I'm standing right there. Wow. You know? But he was a grown white man, and what was I going to do? Yeah. You know, so that was Texas growing up. So it was different. You know, it was it was like, I always tell people that. You know, like, people who grew up in New York, L.A., they have a different view of America than people mm-hmm. who grew up anywhere else pretty much because America is different when you're yeah. outside of these two cities. It's yeah. a whole different thing. And Houston in the middle of it is different. But I had very militant parents who come from a yeah. very, you know, pro-black background. My mom was city council. My dad... Um, and then we're involved in a case in Wyoming where they defended these students who were, you know, oh, wow. involved in a racial case at university. They, my parents were in the thick of this shit. So we grew up like that, you know. So we grew up with being raised by them and being educated by them. So even when the school wasn't doing it, we were doing it. And then both me and my sister, my sister went to Hampton, and then I followed and went to Howard. So, you know, we were always about black history. So they taught y'all. 
they said like they were like the school ain't gonna do it. We're we're going to do it very okay. much so. And then we went, you know, we grew up in a black church. You know, we're surrounded by black people. You know, we Houston has that. You know, Houston has a very black and very you know. Third Ward, especially, is like one of the oldest and historically black neighborhoods in the country, and that's to this day, you know. And it's like there's a large middle class that's like where Beyonce's parents are at, okay. and all that type of stuff. So it's been like that. So it's very black and very strong and very proud, you know, of its history. You know, Juneteenth yeah. is something we've been celebrating. That's yeah. not a new yeah. thing to me. This is <laughs> from childhood. How that feel when like Whack. Juneteenth became honestly, <laughs> Whack, yeah. bro? Shout out to Janicia. That's my you know lover. You know Queen. I mean T with Queen and I feel bad. I'm like one of those people that say Juneteenth. We got started celebrating. Like, I sorry. love her, and we've had this instruction. You know when she yeah. was doing her Juneteenth parties because I just didn't understand it at first. I was like, you know, this is when the slaves got freed a year later. Like even in Houston, when we used to get in the park and have drinks and celebrate. That was it. You know, yeah. it wasn't a big thing like that. It was like, you know, every Juneteenth, we go to the park, chill out, have some drinks, you know, maybe somebody perform, something like that. But it wasn't this huge thing, and it was just weird because now it's like you're celebrating that they played us, you know. But mm. and, but you, do you understand why people, like, now have, like, taken in and choose to? Not especially. Okay. Yeah, I mean – I guess they're celebrating the freedom. I mean, I think people just like the day off now. That works you know for me. <laughs> I'll never forget. I can't remember what comedian is, who it was. Oh, my God. I think it might have been, um, rest in peace, uh, Bebe's kids, uh, Robin Harris. I oh, think yeah. it might have been him. And he once said, if the KKK get a national holiday, I'm drinking a beer and saying, <laughs> well, thank you, Grand Wizard. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious R.I.P. to Robin Harris, man. Oh, my God. Fucking baby yeah. kids. That's one of the great... That that tape is incredible. Like, he had that one special, but that's, you know, that's a special boy. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not talking about Robin Harris no, today. We we're talking not. about yeah. the, the great artist that is Jimi Hendrix. Now, mm. the thing is, typically, I, I would prefer not to talk about like a mainstream person mm. like Jimi Hendrix. Mm. But the thing is, when you brought him up, I realized, besides the name... And like some of the iconic, you know, photographs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I actually don't know much about this this man, this yeah. legend, right? And I know you have a history with him. You even have a graphic novel, mm-hmm. you know, based on him. So like, talk talk a little bit about your history with Jimi Hendrix and what drew you to this artist. Okay, well, it goes back with me, like we were talking about before we recorded. Um, I was at Howard University, and a friend of mine was doing. She was involved with, she didn't even go to Howard, but she was involved with doing this um, student film. I think the kid went to NYU, actually. Okay. And they were shooting in Baltimore. And at the time, I had a giant afro, like, <laughs> akin to Jimmy. Like, I looked like that right there. It was wild, curly, all that, hanging over my forehead. Exactly. Yeah, Jesus. I resemble <laughs> that man. Um, so, yeah, I had the afro like that. And so she was like, can you play Jimi Hendrix? They're doing this uh, school film. And all you won't have to say anything. You'll just stand in the corner and hold a guitar. It's like a dream sequence where you appear to this dude. Okay. So I was like, cool. And then at the same time, around, like, I think it was around the same time or, like, later on that year. Because I played him, you know, whatever. didn't think nothing about it. Kept him moving. And what, what was the story? It was just like. I can't tell you. I have. Oh, yeah, okay. I, It was a short film, and I can't remember. I know. I think the kid was, like, a guitarist, and he. You know, it was inspired by Jimmy or something. Okay. I don't know. We shot in Baltimore in the middle of the night in the projects. I remember there was white boys running around with starter jackets on, and I was like, yo, Baltimore's different. Yeah. Okay. yeah sure. <laughs> it was like middle of the night, and all these white boys are running through the projects. 
I don't know what projects this is. They never showed that shit on the wire. But it was some. <laughs> I mean, it might have been like you know what's his name? Um, where the season two? Um, oh, by the docs or stuff. Yeah, uh, because Ziggy or whatever. Yeah, Ziggy yeah, in there yeah. because straight up dog, it was Ziggy's little brother running around oh, looking shit. dirty and broke, but like starter jackets and no shoes on. In the middle of the night. I remember we were up on the rooftop smoking and looking down at these kids like, yo, what is going on? Oh, you were probably in Amsterdam or Hamsterdam. That's what they called it on the show, remember? Yep. yep. Wow. That's probably like what the inspiration for us for that. I don't know, but that's where we shot this whole just you just shot this short film. You played Jimi Hendrix. Yes. And had no real context about what you were doing. No. Nope. How represented Jimi Hendrix. Now that you know about it. Like most things in my life, I did it because of women, you know? So, okay. Yeah, that's, that's you know, fair. a woman asked me in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. yeah, so, so you did this film. Did this film. And then uh, either a couple months later or around the same time, because I know I had it my sophomore year when I was at Howard, my uncle, my uncle Charles, who was like, he is, you know, I feel like I'm him reincarnated sometimes. You know, okay. he gave me the Jimi Hendrix album, the Band of Gypsies album, which becomes my favorite Jimi album and is then, you know, is hugely influential to me just throughout my life. And then... Now, have you been into rock music before? Hell yeah, man. I grew up in the suburbs, boy. I can't help it. I had to ask, man. I (laughs) I can't help it. Because every time I bring up, like, rock music growing up, like, people always look at me like I'm I'm crazy. But I'm like, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs, bro. And I'm a DJ who, like, grew up on when hip-hop, when you played everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm a DJ who plays everything. So I've always loved rock. You know, I grew up like, I grew up, you know, 80s stuff. And then like, even into the 90s, like Red Hot. I just saw Red Hot last year. And that's one of my favorite oh, shows. Oh, my God. Um, Metallica, you know, the Black Album. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Nirvana. You know, obviously. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw the uh, Nevermind album. I remember mm. that. You know, that was like one of like, the first time I saw NWA's straight out of Compton album. You know, I remember these moments. And I remember okay. seeing that Nirvana like, yo, what the fuck is that and then you know i remember seeing the video for the first time and being like oh no this this is different you know (laughs) (laughs) that's dope man like yeah Yeah. because like growing up i had eclectic taste Mm -hmm. as well but i didn't have confidence to like oh hell no i had no confidence about any of this shit bro i grew up like a super geek like we're sitting in the studio with like the periodic table marvel in front of us i could probably i've never even seen a book and i could probably tell you everything in it but i didn't grow up like being able to even say oh yeah i know all this nerd shit you know, all the yeah. things I do now. I I was a kid who grew up doing all this stuff and just keeping it to myself. It was DJing that Damn. made me more confident where Got I, it. you know, could be in front of people. And then even to the point of, you know, doing the podcast and everything else I do now where I can really like, oh, okay, this nerd shit is something I can really talk about. You know, all this eclecticness I can really talk about. And there's people who can vibe with it and identify. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Yeah. Let's cheers to that. Cheers to that. Word up. Yeah. So, back to Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. So, you get this album. It changes your life. Like You're like, holy shit. This is an incredible artist. So, do you do a deep dive into Jimi? Or like- nah, not even that much at the time. And the, but back to the other thing, like Digital Underground, right? Shot G, yeah. rest in peace, is one of my favorite producers, artists ever. Like, when I started growing my afro, I just wanted to have a bigger afro than him in the <laughs> I Get Around video. I was like, yo, I got to get that. I dogged him out. You know, it was ugly. Um, and I just love shock. And on the first Digital Underground album, they had this song, The Way We Swing, where he samples um, Who Knows off of Jimmy. They don't know. 
what I know. And I was always loved that sample, loved that song. So it just came back around because that's on that Got Band it. of Gypsies album. Yeah, so yeah. when I get the album, I'm like, oh, shit, this is shit shot sampled there. And so it's like, this is always there. So no, I didn't, I liked, and then I went and listened to Are You Experienced, you know, because that's the album that everybody knows. And yep. I liked it, but. That's all the hits. But yes. that's the thing. The band of gypsies is when he has the two black guys. He has the um, Buddy Cox. I mean, no, we just went through this. Buddy Miles and Billy Cox. Billy Cox. No, no, Billy. Yeah, I think Billy I got Cox, that. I yeah, Billy Cox and Buddy Miles. We already yeah. been drinking, so it's Buddy Miles is the drummer. <laughs> Billy Cox is yeah. the bassist, and that's when he had two black people with him. Mm. And so that album is like that's the one that D'Angelo, George Clinton, all you know, Shock, all these people talk about as like the album because that's when he gets funky. Yep. That's where like. I mean, George says that's like the beginning of funk. You know, that's like one of the proto-funk albums. So, yeah. That's why, like, I was very intrigued when you when you brought up Jimmy, just mm-hmm. because I was like, I didn't know that much about his actual biography. And then in doing research, I'm like, oh, he's had such a huge impact on so many artists. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no idea. He, like, he toured with the Isley Brothers. Yep. No idea. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Little Richard, right? Little Richard yeah. as well. I Mad mean, different people. It sounded like he eventually got tired of that. And, like, Real either quick. He quit. Or got, <laughs> well, like, yeah, he got like, fired. Probably yeah. little Richard didn't play. You know, real Richard was one of them dudes. Like you gotta be on what would it. You, what would you pay to be a fly on the wall for? Like little Richard and Jimmy Hendrix having a conversation about his like punctuality. Man, it's all that type of shit. Because little Richard was like people don't get it. Richard was one of you know he's one of them geniuses of music as well. So you know it's like. I remember they talk about uh, how James Brown would fine you if your suit, you know, if you when you got when you took your suit off, if you didn't hang it up, mm. you know, if you just laid your suit out on the couch, he's fining you. Wow. Yeah, you know, like I mean, that's, he's crazy. So that makes sense. <laughs> but, but that perfectionism yeah. leads to you know those albums Absolutely. and leads to you know the James Brown being James Brown. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like from what I what I read was like he he was an incredible artist, but could be. Pretty difficult to Jimmy? work with. Jimmy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems that and that's way. Before the drug, that's before the drug use got real bad. And I think that's just a lot of artists, though. You yeah. know, a lot of artists are incredibly difficult to work with because a lot of artists, you know, have incredible self-doubt. They have incredible egos coupled with this self-doubt. Yep. So it's a lot of things that are going through their heads. And then when you, pres- when you take someone like him who comes from absolute nothing – and then turn him into, you know, as I read, I didn't even notice the highest paid rock star. I had no the, idea of that either at the time. Yeah. yeah. In but 1970, right? When he we started like, doing the research for his, for the graphic novel, I saw like, you know, some of his cars yeah. and stuff that he was legendary for. I was like, okay, he was, he was balling, you know? Yeah. Even with the pay cut, he was the highest uh, art paid artist for Woodstock. I had no idea. That's great. Like, there's like all these little details that you learn and you're like, oh shit. Like he was, he was doing it. And then of course because of his childhood trauma and everything like that, he's probably spending it on drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. But that's the torment of an artist. That's mm-hmm. why he's part of the, the Notorious 27 Club. Yes, yep. Which is the only other fact I really knew about him. Yeah, it was that he died at 27 like mad other people. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is wild. But So let's start at the beginning about Jimmy. So he, he grew up in the ni- 1940s. He was black, Irish, and Cherokee, right? Mm-hmm. That's why he got, you know, the... The Afro, the way he, yep. he got the, the special curls and everything like that, um, but yeah, he his family was his parent like parent per, parents were crazy. They were they were always fighting, mm-hmm. drinking, alcohol was prevalent in the household. Um, the brother was in and out of foster care, right? Like, yep, it's just it was a lot. Yeah, and then Jimmy, I mean, had all the problems at home. 
but still manages to like get his hands on a one string guitar at one yep, point. Ukulele. Yeah, yep. ukulele and starts <laughs> teaching himself off of one string. Yep. Yeah. And then I know learns that starts I think that I mean before he goes into the army he starts playing with people, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he took some lessons because, like, he had a teacher that fought for, like, funding mm-hmm. for the school yep. for, like, you know, them to, like, have some musical, like, you know, investments so he could learn a little something. something. But, yeah, he had to go to the Army or because um, he got in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's either Army or, or ju- like, a juvie. Yeah, or basically, like yep. basically, yeah. Yeah, and he got in trouble mad times before that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you surprised, though? Like, that's the thing is, like. No, not at all, yeah. because it's like, you know, black people in America. Like, you know, who doesn't get in trouble and who doesn't narrowly avoid, you know, Brit prison or jail at some point? Yeah, because even in the suburbs, I used to get in trouble all the time. Like, and I wouldn't even do shit. Like, it was just, like, because I have been, like, if I were with a group of kids and two of them did some fucked up shit, because I'm associated, I'm immediately the one that's like, hey, you're the one that's possibly going down for this. Like, Man, it wasn't even like, I see, Houston again, and I've told this story on my own podcast, like, uh, one of my best friends is Jewish to this day, that's my boy Zev, like, that's my brother, I've known him since like second day of kindergarten. And, Damn. yeah, no, I mean, we go back, that's my dog, you know, and one night I'm walking with my boy Marcus and some other cats, Marcus and other kids, from his house to Zev's house. We're all walking over there. I'm the only black guy. Cop pulls up on us, hops out the car, shines the light on all of us. And it's Ooh. like, is this guy bothering y'all? To you? No, to them. Oh. Like, but talking one, about you. Yeah. The yeah. one black guy surrounded by white y'all guys. Y'all smiling and We're shit. all smiling. <laughs> Probably. Talking about some Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and shit. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> like, some weird nerd shit. Yeah. Walking, you know, middle of the night. Might have been high. Who knows? And, yeah, is this guy bothering y'all? Damn, man. Yeah, Houston's different, fam. I mean, that's the black experience everywhere. Though, right? <laughs> you know, they always think that we, we trouble, like, we start some shit, we angry. Yeah. You know, like, I remember, like, growing up, like, people would be like, oh, you're probably listening to, like, like N.W.A. or, like, Tupac or some of that. I'm like, little do you know, I almost did a night of this uh, Roxbury soundtrack. Like, I'm jamming over here. <laughs> You know, but that's that's the thing. Like, that's what's so cool about Jimi Hendrix. It's like that he was in a genre that typically you wouldn't see black artists like fully embraced it. Like he made it a alley of his own, like in that. Well, that's genre. The, that's the thing about it, right? And that's like, and this is something um, that we talk we talk about. It's one of the main themes of the graphic novel. But we there isn't a genre of of music. In the world, well, let's say in America. Let's just keep it simple, right? Mm. There's not a genre of American music that was not created by black and brown people. End of story. Absolutely. You can run down a line. There's not a one. You heard that, Elvis fans? Just saying. The one that I can kind of say is uh, bluegrass, but even bluegrass is just an offshoot of country, which is an offshoot of blues. Mm -hmm. You know, and blue and country is just straight up white people doing blues. Like, it's the same chord, same key, same everything. So that's, like, there isn't a genre. So rock in particular, and that's why when you brought this up, because I wanted to do some on some of the house cats, because that's another one that I feel that black people do not get the credit for inventing. You know, black people invented house music in the story. But rock is another one that has been taken from us, Absolutely. where it's like we just are not associated with rock music. When in fact, you know, Little Richard, um, Jimmy, Prince, down the line, we are the creators of rock music. Jimmy is like, 
the progenitor of like everything that comes from rock music now. Like the electric guitar is him. People still can't do the things he was doing on the guitar, yeah. you know, to this day. They can't touch him. Be, and that's like, and that's one of the things that's also why I think why black people kind of abandon rock and why we, we do this for a lot of genres is we exhaust them. Mm. And then we're kind of like, all right, we're done with that. On yep. to the next. And then there's the other side of it that technology drives genre. Like Jimmy, Jimmy becomes Jimmy because the electric guitar is invented around that time. Mm -hmm. So because of that, he can take the electric guitar and change the world with it. You know, just like hip hop is a direct relation because turntables were there and uh, music was taken out of schools, yep. et cetera. So it leads to these, you know, there's all these factors that lead to the creation of hip hop. Just like all these factors led to the creation of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I mean, like, what was wild about him working with all these different artists is I think, even though, like, it didn't seem like from, like, the research that I read, like, that he he had beef with anybody. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, like even when he got fired, it was like, I still respect you as an artist, like, Jimmy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think he just took from all these different experiences and created these albums and just really worked on his, his craft. And that's why he's, like, this legendary artist that, even if you didn't really like him or like you didn't fuck with his work ethic or like his approach to work, you like had to respect him. Like you just had to. I think that's like that Tupac thing. Like when I read about Tupac, you know, people say the same thing. Like he was possessed, you know, mm. he was just in studio, you know, women, you know, partying, studio, 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 you know, and it was like constantly, oh, I got to make this music, yeah. you know, and so he just didn't have time for people who weren't on that page. Well, that's also because like, you know, he, he like a lot of black artists like didn't think that he had much time. You know what he I mean? He saw because he'd seen, you know, Jimmy. Yeah. He'd seen people before him. You know, he know he knew the history. Now do you think Jimmy had that same kind of anxiety though? I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem that way. Yeah. It's just like the reliance on like the, the depression medications. It's just, it's tough because back then, you know, they weren't they weren't treating us. They weren't they weren't if we had depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. any of that, like we weren't getting none of that no. support. We barely get in now. Like, some of the main research I did for the graphic novels, I read this one book yeah. that was, like, comprised of his notes, his letters to home, oh, all this type of stuff. So it was, you know, like, hearing his story through his words for as much of it as it was. And it was funny how self-deprecating he was, how, like, little he would think of himself at some times. Mm. But then, like I said, it's he that... He was Irish, bro. It's that doubt, but then it's also <laughs> this ego where he would cut other people, you know, to mm. the bone without even really saying anything. Like, the funniest one was when you saw about Eric Clapton one time, and he was like, yeah, I really like what Eric Clapton's doing now. He slowed down, you know, and it's like he, he, he you know, yeah. he, he calmed... You know, he, like, stopped doing all that other shit he was doing and, yeah. you know, got some funk in his system, you know? But he was like, yeah, what he was doing before was like, yeah, whatever, dude. What's wild is, like, um, I recently li listened to an interview with Chris Rock, and he talked about big ego, low self-esteem, mm. and, like, how a lot of That's crazy. black artists, like, have that. And, like, it's because you need to have the ego in order to push through all the bullshit in this industry, but then you, like, have so much self-doubt because there's not many people that look like you that get to those high levels. You know well, what I mean? I got, you, after this, you got to tell me what that's on. I got to hear that. Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah, funny, because sure. I just said that, you know, earlier in the show, and I didn't, I never really put that two together like that and I know that is something I suffer from from the you know I have a like if you ask me about stuff that I'm you know that I've worked at like DJing you know it's not even an ego to me it's just like no I've fucking studied the living life out of this yeah. shit and I've worked at it hard like even so like comedy you know like that's something I want to do stand up one day 
but I've more so just respected and studied it from a technical level where I'm just like, okay. you know, like I'm a like Richard Pryor's God to me. You know, like yeah. every mixtape I ever did at one point had a Richard Pryor sample on it. You know, I used <laughs> yeah. to just study his shit. And then it was like I studied lineage. You know, that's something I'm big on. Like that's what we, something else that's a theme in this book is like how people feed into other people. So I was always like, yeah. you know, Red, Richard, Eddie, Chris, Dave. You know, it's pretty much how my line went, you know, as the goat line, you know. And yeah. so I just, I study people, you know, like, I, like, Dave, like, last thing I thought was, ugh. and not just because of his, I think he's been doing the, you know, trans joke shit way too much in general. Yes, yes. But the last one just wasn't structured, you know, like his normal, where it's just like, he's just getting in front of a camera now and just, yeah, he's just like, blah, 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 whatever. And normally he's like, zip, 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 you know. Boom, watch that ending, you know? And it's like, oh, shit, now I got to go back to the beginning and see where he started because he hit me over the head with his ending. So it's different. Yeah. I I, I want to get to the book, though. Yeah. Because you mentioned it a few times. Like, mm-hmm. what was the origin behind the graphic novel? How that come about? Like, um, and then, like, what was the process of putting that together? And, like, how do you feel about the fun, uh, the finished product? Oh, man. All right. Well, um, it started, Jesus, it's going on, like, three years now, I think, is um, – my writing partner is Mellow Brown, Mellow Marketer on Twitter, on Instagram, all that type of stuff. And that's my partner. We worked on American Gods together. We've just been friends for years. We, you know, both came into Hollywood on American Gods together. We became WGA writers together. And he's shout now. To WGA. Yeah, shout out to WGA. Congratulations. <laughs> Good to see y'all back. And uh, he's now actually, you know, in Save Station 19 because he's actually a producer on Station 19. Oh, dope. Yeah, okay. and so there, there's a campaign to save that right now because they're facing cancellation. I mean, Max is cutting everything. I don't, yeah. you don't need to get into it, but it's it's crazy. Everybody's getting cut, so it's like, you know, and that's one of them shows that, you know, just stays on the air. So, but, yeah, he's working, we're working, and this came up about three years ago when he hit me up like, yo, I got this, because he'd been doing um the Blade Runner comic book for Titan Publishing. Okay. Yeah, so he wrote he wrote Blade Runner Origins, which tells the origin of Blade Runner. He wrote a Black Blade Runner as the oh, first shit. Blade Runner. It's fire. It's a fire-ass book. You can we pick it up. We the first is everything. Like, Captain America, yo, like, that did not get enough shine with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I know some people, like, feel mixed about it. No. But when they were, like, the first Captain America was a Black, I was like, yo. And the whole how they, especially the comic that it comes from, the red, white, and black, I think it's called. Yeah. Is so fire because they, you know, it's the Tuskegee experiment mm-hmm. done as Captain America. Yep. So that was so ill. But yeah, Mello wrote um, the first Blade Runner as black, and he got huge pushback from the Blade Runner fandom and everything. But now it's canon, so they got to deal with it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's all. You know, that's all part of the story now. How do you how do you get that approval? Did like really uh, Scott? Oh yeah, that? no he, Sir Ridley Scott. Mm. Did he have to? Mm. I'll, oh, I don't want you to get. I'm not speaking out of turn on that one because that's not mine. Yeah, shout out to Ridley Scott. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we like Alien, <laughs> Prometheus. Uh, uh, yeah, I can yeah. say that. But um, as far as the rest of yeah, Ridley Scott was involved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Ridley might have had some other ideas, but you know, oh well, right, you yeah. know, um, this is what's canon now, so. Yeah, so that went through all that process. So okay. he had me about a few years ago, and he was like, yo, uh, Titan pitched to me. They have this Jimi Hendrix. You know, they have the rights to Jimi Hendrix. Got it. And um, we've debated about this. We're still not 100% sure, but I think they actually had the original pitch was they didn't want to do a standard bi- biography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
they wanted to do something more sci-fi fantasy. Why is that keep okay? Keep telling the story, but I want to talk about Jimmy's story and why it hasn't been told in a narrative way yet. Okay. But talk, continue talking it actually about has. There's actually another graphic novel that okay. went a little more narratively, you know, told his story a little. I haven't read it, but from what I know, it has. Okay. So they they pitched us that, and um, so we were like, okay, cool. So me and Melo went back, and we you know distrusted. We started throwing ideas back and forth about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to see from the book. And then we uh, his we have our editor David, who's his editor at Titan, and we had a meeting with. Well, we have a Zoom meeting. Our first Zoom meeting was, was with Janie Hendricks, who is oh, wow. Jimmy's half sister and uh, um, executor of his estate. Right, half sister from father or mother? Uh, not a hundred percent sure. Okay, yeah, not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I imagine father because the father's the one that got the custody. I, well, that would right? probably like, be it then. Yeah, 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 that would probably be it. So. I th- it was interesting. Like the, the research I found, like the mom like was, disappears at some point. Oh, wow. I, yeah, From what damn. I was reading. Because he got custody of him and uh, the brother. Okay. The father. Yeah. And so then it's just. You know, yeah. times were different. And so, um, yeah, we have this meeting with Janie, and we okay. pitch her our, we basically pitch her the whole story we have for our graphic novel, which is. Basically, a four-act story that we have, and okay. we picture this story. Um, I'm trying. I guess I can say that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, say yeah, that shit. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Say that. Well, no, the, um, I'm about to pour you another drink. Yeah, do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead and do that yeah, while, yeah, while, yeah, I, I, while I throw myself under this bus. No, <laughs> the one thing was. It, I won't say any of the names involved, okay? But okay. One, the one thing that we were told by David before we got on this call was that they've been working on this project for years, and they had another writer with it, and they got as far as the first phone call, and there was a disagreement, and the writer quit Okay. on the phone call. So okay. he said, just please don't quit during the phone call. <laughs> They're like, whatever you do in our working relationship, just don't, don't quit, quit on us. During the phone call. So okay. we did the phone call, and we almost quit right after. No. <laughs> we, we almost quit right after. No. We, it was, it was, that was an interesting process. You know, okay. But that's how it is working with any IP. Yes. You know, you're going, and then this is the thing. Janie is extremely protective of her brother's image. Everything about him. And that's why we haven't seen a film about Jimmy directly like that because. um, What do you think is they're protecting, though? Like, because, you know, we were talking before we recorded, like, there's that three stacks. Well, Andre 3000 mm-hmm. betrayed Jimi Hendrix. But the movie, cheers. Cheers again. The movie doesn't really do much besides just showing you a night in Jimi Hendrix's life. Yep. Like, do you think it's the drug use? Do you think it's just a, it's, that he was a kind of a difficult dude and they don't want to show him in that light? Like, I think I can even say that, right? Because that's something that really isn't, yeah, it's something you won't see in our book, is that one of our one of the stipulations was that we don't really lean into the drug use and well, we don't really lean into the women. I mean, that's... That's tough. that's like a that's like with Bohemian Rhapsody when they didn't really talk about Freddie Mercury's like sexuality that like, they didn't I never seen them they movie. touched on it but it wasn't like as graphic as because Sasha Baron Cohen initially signed up because like I wanted it to be a hard R I want to be true to like how Freddie yeah. was as a rock star and then they they 
watered it down, and that's why it's PG thirteen, and like that's why Rami Malek came in. Oh, where is Sasha yeah. supposed to play? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know nothing about yep. that. Damn, that would have been interesting. But then the Queen, I guess they were like, we want it to be more family friendly. That's why it's like less I, about it good. Friday. It's okay. Like, I had to try it. Like if days. I were to like if that year, like I remember Rami beat out Mad People, like. If you're gonna go with a musical performance, like you should have gone to Bradley Cooper for a Star Is Born. Oh man, I love that movie. Yeah, but yeah. it's like it, it was a weird year. Like it was a huge hit because of the music. I yeah, think. but it's very generic. It's very bad. But like you know, what's wild is Rocket Man was written uh, was directed by the same dude that did Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, because he that guy came in to take over for uh, Brian Singer. Who got fired off? Yeah, Bohemian because Rhapsody. of everything else. Yeah, yeah. and so Rocket Man is way more ballsy. Like it's way better. And it's actually like graphic, like with the that's with sexuality. Uh, dude that's with from a, what's his name? Terry Kingsman. Erickson. Yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. have to see that one too. It, he, I don't it's think really I've seen good. That. He's really good as hell to me. Okay, I'm about to peep that. But, uh, let's peep stop that. talking about white artists and let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to Jimmy. Yeah. So, but no, that is directly wider. Why we don't like we have these white movies and we don't have a Jimmy movie is because they don't want that, you know, and they feel yeah. that that's the thing. Like they feel that people would fixate on that. And that's not what makes Jimmy Jimmy. Yes. And that's not who Jimmy was as a person. And that's not who Jimmy would want people to remember him by, mm-hmm. you know? Because a lot of people think, oh, I do drugs and I become this masterful guitar player. And it's not that. Jimmy becomes a masterful guitar player and then does drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but he's a masterful guitar player first. Yeah, because if he wasn't, then he wouldn't have been able Like, yes, there were some shows, I guess, that like he was real fucked up or this yeah. didn't go well mm-hmm. or whatever. But if he were such a mess, it would have torpedoed his career. He was still before. He would have never had the bread. career if he's not the genius exactly. on guitar. It's not. But that's the thing. People think that it's the drugs. Like, oh, I did these drugs and now I come up with these ideas, you know, and he does all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm space out. I play this weird shit. Yeah. No, it's like, no, dude. He was just nice. Mm-hmm. You know, he put in those the ten thousand hours of practice. You know, this guy was a monster. So, yeah. Now, like when you're when you're putting like sets of stuff together, like do you like you mentioned like you pull back on drinking a little bit? Did you did you ever feel like that fueled your creative outlets? Like whatever it's putting the graphic novel together, putting I together. I smoke a, separate... a lot of marijuana, so um, okay. I can't really. <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, I, you know, I I use marijuana pretty heavily, so I can't say that um. I don't know. I, I don't know if it fuels or yeah. it's just part of life now, you know, where I don't, you know, I did a lot of marijuana while I wrote this book. That's for sure. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's called Purple Haze. Yeah. That makes smoked <laughs> a lot of Purple Haze. So. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I've often thought about that just in terms of my whole life. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. would I be the person I was, like, if I wasn't smoking weed like this, you know? Like, yeah. I've had nights where I smoked something and I did some crazy shit, but I'm like, damn, would I done that crazy shit? If I hadn't smoked that night, who knows? Yeah. You know, it's like, such is life. You know, there's no if, there's only is. So, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Man. One of my favorite quotes that I um heard while in jail is that the if, if you ever hear if in your life, it's only, it's the devil talking. Okay. There's no such thing. You know, that's when you hear if, that's just the devil. Got it. Yeah. Like, now, you, you mentioned jail and stuff like that. Um, You know, like, was that. You know, depending on what you're comfortable talking about, but yeah. what was what was that experience like? What what was the callus behind that? And everything. I got locked up in Dubai for two seeds of marijuana. In Dubai, everybody in the room jumped. Yeah. Um, yeah, God in Dubai. Damn. Yep. For and ended up doing a year, because uh, Dubai is a zero tolerance state, wow. and it was even crazier than in the mid 2000s when I was there. This was before uh, Futures DJ. This was before any of that yeah. shit. Yeah. This is like. 
I was over there. I was in Ethiopia DJing for a while, and then I went to Dubai because everybody was like, "Oh, you got to go to Dubai. It's yeah. so dope." And I was like, "All right, I'll go for a weekend." And then I uh, ended up there for a year. Wow. Shout out to my brother DJ Groove Rider, uh, one of the creators of Drum and Bass. He was my cellmate for eleven months. Jeez, <laughs> what was it like coming back from that? Um, weird, you know. They yeah. there was like it wasn't like. Um, I was living in D.C. at the time. Everyone in D.C. knew what had happened. It was a very small okay. thing, you know, a very small city, if you know D.C. So everybody was like, you know, it was weird. And that's what prompted me kind of move to New York because mm. I was like, Yo, I can't be here. You know, it's like this felt weird. And it was just weird, man. You know, jail is a weird experience. It's, you know, it's, I mean, not weird. It's like, it's something that I can't really describe. It's, yeah. it's very tough to, it wasn't um, trauma. It's not Oz or any of yeah. that type of shit. The trauma comes from just the, uh, mental part of it just dealing with you know the loss of freedom the loss of freedom is what i tell people it's impossible to understand until it happens to you it is something that is so weird you know not being able to do what you want to do one one of the same dudes who uh told me that line about the devil's the if one day says to me we're listening to the radio and he's like yo ben you know what it should be like when you again when you can just hear a song and you just want to hear a song you can just hear it right then i was like yo that's Crazy that's because crazy. right now we listen to what the radio plays yeah, and that's you it. Can't, yeah, you can't. That's it. There's no other. There's no. Yeah, other. As a DJ, that must have drove you crazy. Like, <laughs> it was interesting. That must have been nuts. <laughs> that was the very first thing when I got home. I went to turntables. The very first. What was the first song you played when you got home? Fuck, I can't remember. I just wanted to scratch. That was it. I just wanted to hear that you know sound and feel that sound and feel vinyl in my hands. Jeez, I can't. That's remember. how you know you're a true musician. That was like, the very first thing I did, bro. Like as soon as I came home, I went to eat and then went to. My man's craving with his turntables. Yeah. yeah, wasn't Jimmy almost? He almost went to prison, and yep. he had like anxiety about getting sentenced and everything like that. Yeah, and then like like I say, it's some it's so many things that we relate. Like his his obsession with science fiction and stuff was something that we were you know mm-hmm. that we both have in common. Um, his blackness, and that's something that we really wanted to talk about in the book. That was like one of our main goals when we wrote the book was to talk about that was how black he was, and that was something like like when our, we were just talking about how what he'd want to be remembered by. What yeah. I think he'd want to be remembered by, and what I think one of the, this is what I think one of the things that sold that got us the deal with, to write the book was. I told Janie when we first met, I was like, look, let me tell you like this. I grew up on Prince. Prince is God to me. You know, like that is like Adore is the greatest song ever written. I can sit here and talk about him for all day and night, you know, but it's either Prince or Jimmy as the number one and number two guitarists of all time. Okay. I don't care what order you put him in, but you better say those two first. And that's what I told her. And I was like, that's what I want to establish with this book. I want to establish that Jimmy is that black rock god and i want to get all the uh, iconography of like white like the shit you see on the side of a van you know the uh, the black light posters shit you know yeah. like everything that you associate the heavy metal hair out with dragons flying around and shit like that's i want that imagery to be associated with jimmy Mm. And I want the idea of rock and roll to be associated with Jimmy and the idea of blackness to be associated with Jimmy. And that's what we wanted to do for this book. Got it. What was the most challenging part about putting the book together? (laughs) 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 Just cackled. Let me drink again. No worries, bro. I'll share a drink with you. Mm. Definitely um, just dealing with 
あ This was my first time. Well, like I said, I wrote on American Gods, but that's not really like an IP. I mean, it's an IP, but it's based off a book, right? Yeah, it's based off a book. Yeah, it was it was different. You know, we had different issues in that writing room. We didn't have like, I guess we did. Yeah, could we did. We definitely did. What am I saying? We went away <laughs> from the book. You know, in our yeah, in yeah. our proposed season two, we were definitely going off book heavy. We were disregarding a lot of the book. With good reason, whatever. Um, you know, shout out to the yeah. Anyway, so with this we had it was more like what I was saying, there was this okay, we had to make sure that Janie understands what we're doing. Okay. And communicating to her and letting her know that we knew what we were doing. I, I take it to like Kind of how when it's on, it's different, but yeah, that it, that was the main thing. And what was it like? I'm not, I, I have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, her experience or anything like that in regards to the creative world, but what was it like trying to break that down for someone that maybe isn't in the creative space? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, especially because it's like a sci fi, it's a graphic novel story, like, how do you help them visualize what you're trying to accomplish with the work? I think she's a fan of sci-fi and stuff like that. Okay. So I think that helped. But Janie's definitely older. So Janie comes from a different generation. So she had mm. different, like, that was one thing we, you know, we definitely had a little bit of conflict with was, like, she was like, I want the characterization to be more like this type of comic book, you know, from the past. And I was like, I've read all those comics. You know, I grew yeah. up reading those. You know, they were old then, but I read all those. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not writing like that. You know, we write, I read modern comics. I'm going to write from a very modern perspective. And it was things like that. And then, like she says, she's very concerned with the portrayal of her brother's image. And I can understand it, but it becomes difficult at points. You know, and there was like, like even the cover of our graphic novel that you can see now went through a major change that I didn't understand when they did it. You know why she was so adamant about it, and then in retrospect, I get it. Okay. You know, and I can say it because basically they they didn't want him to appear not alive. They want him to you know still appear alive in the imagery. Okay. You know, full of life. I would say. Got it. Yeah. Okay. An image was more just his eyes were closed, and it's like he's playing the guitar with his eyes closed. Oh, okay. But so they're just like they no. The symbol, like the yeah, his eyes closed. You know why yeah. his eyes closed? I, you know, I'm when I heard, I was like. But, you know, then I get it. That's probably a sensitive thing, too. Yeah, like, and then the I family. get it, you yeah, know, I and it's that. like, okay, I get it. And that, you know, that means a lot. And so It's a weird note, but, like. It's a weird yeah. note, but then, uh, you know, in retrospect, I understood it. And that was the thing. Like, uh, we we did it in, like I said, it was four acts. So we did it in, you know, acts. Like, we wrote the first act. We'd submit it. We'd talk with them. You know, we'd get notes. We'd have a talk. We'd respond to the notes. We'd submit a yeah. rewrite. And probably two or three rewrites for act one. For Act 1 and 2, it was probably two or three rewrites. Mm. Then by Act 3, they were pretty much like, oh, these kids know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're not playing. You know, they're, they're, they said they were going to do this, and they're doing it. You know? Yeah. And so that was like... And then I even knew we did it when um I let people read it, and they read it, and I'd written the first three at that point, and they came back to me, and they were like, where the fuck is Part 4? 
That's a dope feeling, right? It was the That's a dope feeling when you send something to somebody, like, you know, to get feedback, and you're like, I just hope they like it. And not only do they like it, they're like, where's the next They thing? were like, so tight. Next? Yeah, that's and, it, and, they, and they were worried about how it would wrap it up. And then when I gave them part four, they were like, wow. You wrapped it up, and you answered the questions I had. And, you you know, like, that anticipation I had from reading part three, you know, you answered in part four. Yeah. You pulled off a Harry Potter of Deathly Hollows, bro. Bruh, I'm like this thing. I haven't I haven't put out much writing, you know. Like yeah. you know, like I say, I have a children's book and I've written on American Gods. On you know, I've done a lot of poetry and you know, various shit. People know, you know, people. You're know me. man. I, that's why I appreciate like the work you do, man. Like you, you, you about it, man. You do the work. I I, I do my best to do it. You know, I, yeah, that's my thing. I do like I say, I I do my best to study things and comic books. Are something I've read all my life, but. It's hard for me, like, I'm that big ego, low self-confidence person. Like, it's so hard for me. Like, and my boy just sent me this mixtape I did years ago, and then all my boys in the group chat were like, yo, that shit was so fire, bro. Yeah. And, man, I agonize over that shit. I agonize over every goddamn mixtape I've ever done in my life. This, Do you hate compliments, too? Not as much. Or are you just thinking about the work? You're just like, oh, man, but they, you know, you're like, that's not... Yeah, like, I'm always. I, I appreciate y'all liking it and like praising it, but like, you're like that's not. I like, was go, like, I could have done better. Like over, like another one, like over the last year or so, I started producing music, like producing okay. house music and stuff. And people would be like, "Yo, this shit's fire," you know. And I, like recently, I was with my boy DJ Analyzes, my brother. I was playing him, you know, a few of my tracks, and then I was playing him this dude Timmy Registered, and Timmy's a legend. He's a god in house, and he was like, "Yo, your shit sounds as good as his, bro." Wow. And I was like, shut the fuck up, bro. Like, what do you, you know, fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I know this stuff is good, but that, you know, it's like, this is the guy, you know, this is one of my idols, you know? And I'm just trying to make some music, you know? And that's, like, that's how I look at it. But, I, like, at the same time, I know I don't sleep. I'm up till 3 in the fucking morning, 5 in the morning, working on these joints, you know? Yeah. I know I studied music all my life, you know? Same thing. So with the Hendrix book, it's... The anticipation to have people read it is so, like I say, those people who have read it, yeah. and that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of, you know, but, yeah, I'm shook, you know, yeah. as far as, like, the general public reading it and, like, people like my brother Joe Illich, who's a, you know, comics, you know, he's been working in the industry, you know, I don't know, I think he just celebrated 30-plus years in yeah. it. So people like him, you know, and then I'm, through my podcast, I'm friends with a lot of, Creators, you know, yeah, like Karen Gillan, who wrote uh, Wicked and Divine and a bunch of other books that I love, X-Men right now. He's doing Immortal X-Men right now. He's fan That's my, you know, and we become like good friends, but he's an idol of mine. I've told him many a times, you know, Wicked and Divine is a big influence on this yeah. hindrance book. Like I literally stole shit. <laughs> and so um, it's to be, he's going to read it, you know, and yeah. that type of shit is weird to me. Yeah, man, I, I it's hard when you like meet your heroes and you like trying to, like you like you have such a big impact. Like like right now, like we got this my, my boy Chris Bryant. Shout out to Chris. Um, we're, we're, we got this animated pilot that we're gonna be sending out. Mm. And one of the people we're sending out is is like literally like one of my comic book idols. Like Who's I'll that? tell you offline. I'll okay. Tell you offline. Okay. And I'm just like, bro, like that's crazy. That's yeah. Crazy. Like oh, he wants to read it. I'm like that's that's insane. You know, and so. That's dope that like you're doing that like you 
you're taking this artist that's so important to the culture, that's so important to music in general, and you're like elevating him to a new level. And what do you what do you want the the key takeaway for people when they read this graphic novel to be? Oh man, thank you for asking that. My the main thing that I really want to take away, and like me and Mello were talking about this right before the show, is that how black Jimi Hendrix was. Mm. And how black he is, and I can, yeah, I can give this away. One of the main themes of the book is this idea I've had for all my life, and that it's not, it's not me. It's really something that you know, it's just something that exists, and I've just observed. Is the river of black music? Yeah. Is the idea that you know, black music is one? I don't really believe in genre. I think genre is something that's created by people to separate because people need to separate things and classify things so that way. They can say, this is rock, and now white people do rock, and black people don't do that anymore, you know, and this mm. is jazz, and now white people do yeah. jazz, and we made Whiplash, and we know all about jazz. <laughs> Whiplash fucking sucks. It's a great movie, but it knows nothing about jazz. That's that's every Everyone that's musically inclined tells me that. I love Whiplash as a movie. <laughs> I love it as a movie. But yeah, it I knows absolutely. It. And, and it's then so, it got worse with La La Land. I didn't even like, want to. I, I, I won't see La La Land because I was so mad at dude you over know, Whiplash. I was such a dick to uh, this white woman the other day. She was like, La La Land is like my favorite movie. Oh, and, my God. I would have barked on her. Yo, I said, it was like, like my immediate response to her when she's like, La La Land is my favorite movie. I'm like, Lost to Moonlight. Just reminding you. Just, just reminding you that, you know, Best Picture got fucked up, but Moonlight took it. I'll hit a bar on And on that note, for everyone out there, it's not available in America yet, but um, and it didn't get nominated. Yeah. It was up for it, but it didn't get the, nom for, the nod for the Oscars. Uh, Blue Giant is this animated film from Japan. It's an anime about jazz. It came out yeah. this year. Fucking hell. It's, my, it's like in my top. I don't know. It might be my favorite film of the year. It's Oh, wow. Damn. It's it's battling Spider Verse, dog. It's I, stupid. I got, yeah, I'm always gonna stand up for Spider Verse. I was so stupid. mad when they didn't get enough noms. But I mean, it's nominated for the Oscar. It got it, it. it is for best it's animated feature, but it should have been be best, best picture, film. It should be best picture, score. That's best feel, visual effects. That's how like, I feel about Blue Giant, bro. It's, okay, it's a. I'm gonna check it out. It, it will. It and it takes a second because it's like about 30 minutes into it is when it's gonna fuck you up, and that's when it's like it's over. You know, but it's what's wild ever. is about that because I thought you were about to pitch the graphic novel. Okay, I was no. like, oh, you about to promote the the novel? You know, like tell the people. Let me go back to that, right? What, what, when it's gonna okay, be yeah, available? Okay, yeah. So we, we were going back. We were. I'm sorry, I got distracted. We were talking about the river of music, and that's one of the main things that I want people to take away from it is the fact that black people in America have created pretty much every form of music that is known, and we create these mu forms of music. We do it almost like subconsciously. It's just second nature to us. Yeah. And then we create them and pass it on and we keep moving. So I want to really talk about that and show the legacy and not only the past, but the future and how Jimmy is an integral part of that. Like he is a part of this river and he is such an important part of American musical history and to recognize so how black Jimmy is and how black rock music yeah. is. Because, uh, like, another big thing that we haven't brought up, we talked about Little Richard, but how B.B. King was, you know, mm. another cat who yep. rolled with Jimmy and taught him some yep. stuff when he was younger. That's a big part of our book. That must have been such a cool thing. Man, B.B. King and Jimi Hendrix? I saw B.B. King speaking of that. Uh, he he played when I DJed at Love Nightclub in oh, D.C. Shit. Like, we were talking about that off air. Yeah, B.B. Wow. King. I got to see that motherfucker live. Like, it was... 
You know, Jesus up there with, I up the there with King, Lucille. I went to BB King's place on uh, Times Square. I just saw Fleetwood Mac cover band. Yeah, I saw Damn. B- I saw BB up there with Lucille, boy. It was something. Oh, shit. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, he played. Like, I mean, that's what he, he played. Yeah, he Lucille, played. Yeah. He bought out there. Like, Where is Lucille these days? Like, is, is it a, like, museum or it something, It probably right? is in the, um, in, oh, my God. um, You know, Fall Nerds, we got to speak at the Blatsonian at the NMHAAC. Okay. The National Music, National Museum of History and Art and Culture. Oh, that, it's in and, there. The, yeah, I, and. It has to be. The music right. floor. I, I mean, that museum is the greatest thing I've ever been in. Yeah. But the music floor alone, I could spend so much time in it. They have so much hindrance. They have so much shit. And that and the floor talks about what I was talking about. Like, even the... Um, I was talking to the director, one of the directors, and he's like, the dude who does the music wants to change the layout so there's no more genre in here. So it's not rock over here. So it's not oh, this it's over just here. So it's just... One it's just all one thing. Because that's how, you know, black yeah. music is this one river. It's yeah. technology that's that makes the changes, like we were talking about earlier. It's like Jimmy had an electric guitar, so that makes the changes. Hip-hop is determined by this. You know, we played blues guitar because we had three notes, out, you know, I mean, the three strings. Yeah. Like, that's that was what blues was. Those, you know, those chords. It's yeah. like with three chords that make up the majority of blues music because that was it. And then, you know, you get a six-string guitar, you can do this. You get this, you can do this. You get this, you get, you know, overdubs. That, you know, that becomes reggae and dub music. You know, all the technology and circumstance and history and time drive genre more than anything else. So we speaking of which, like things we haven't talked about yet. Like we didn't even talk about Jimmy with the the flaming guitar. Oh, and that's and a big how part he was of our inspired book. by the the Who. Like he's like, how can we do some shit like that? And it's like, well, you could light your guitar on fire. Like didn't his manager pitch that? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you could, you could and they're like, get him some gasoline. And <laughs> that and, and that and that's the thing. And it's like and it, the timing, photo taken comes the iconic picture. And it's like. It's it's kind of like the thing where we're today, where it's like social media can make a superstar, you know, before they're ready, yeah. and Jimmy was ready for the moment, yeah. but and it was it was planned, like you you see it, like the manager's like, nah, we gotta do something like the the who out here breaking guitars, what can mm-hmm. we do to top that? Like, yeah. you know, I saw it in the research where he's like, well, you, it's not shame you can't light your guitar on fire, yeah. and Jimmy's like, shit. <laughs> light that bitch on fire, yep. you know. But then that becomes the thing where they keep asking him to light the guitar on fire. You know, and it's like, come on, you do do that shit where you like it's a fire. And the people think that's all Jimmy was, yeah. was lighting the guitar on fire, you know, or playing with his teeth instead of, you know, that's crazy. being a beast. Yeah, that's yeah. a, yeah, it's some, it's some ill trick shit. That's how you know someone spends that night and day with this instrument. Yes. To be able to do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's sick. I saw Watch Love do that once. It's some sick shit. Like, and that's, that, honest question for you. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't died. At age 27. If Jimmy was still around now, do you think he would still be regarded as the best guitar player of all time? Do you think he would still have, like, the the leg, like, the legendary status that he has if he I, had to die so young? The problem is I don't think he's regarded as that right now, and that's one of the things we wanted to really talk about and, and mm. fight for in this book and bring back to the public, and I can't wait for this book to come out because it's – going to bring him back into the public eye in yeah. general and people are going to be talking about his music and hearing his music again because I don't think he's regarded as that. I always hear, you know, arguments for this white boy or that white boy, Buckethead, and this motherfucker and this motherfucker. Wow. And it's like, really? Okay. Yeah, it's like, you know, I've seen, you know, Rolling Stone will always put out their nonsense list and they will put out, I think they had Jimmy at number he's one the last one. time. Yeah. I think, I as pray. As of 2023, he was number okay, one. Okay, I pray because 
Like a lot I of say, people discount Rolling Stone now because of what uh, I forgot the editor or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, and any other list shit. they put out is yeah. some nonsense. So I mean, but I pray it's just like how I feel about Prince. P- Prince normally people don't even talk about his guitar playing. That's crazy. And it's like that's crazy. What? Like, have you heard the intro to like when doves cry? You know, like nobody's doing that shit. That's just impossible. Like, well, I don't even like so. There's some stuff like Jimmy, uh, Prince, like Deanne, like there's so many artists where I'm like, how do you even like have the brain to think of these sounds coming together, let alone the lyrics you put together on this shit? Like, that's what's always impressed me about musicians. And that's why I was like so excited when you brought up Jimi Hendrix, because I'm like, let me actually do a deep dive into this guy. Man, I tell everybody, like, go listen to the Band of Gypsies album, especially, because okay. not enough people know that album. And that's when. It's like he gets really black and really funky, you know, because people know him as, you know, like the um, Light My Fire and all that yeah. stuff. And it's like that rock, yeah. you know, the, baby, light my, you know, people, all, you know, do all that. stuff the white people. Yeah, but when you hear, yeah. like, they don't know, you know, what I know, and them jump, that shit is like. That whiskey's kicking yeah, in. Yeah, that shit hard, boy. <laughs> there we go, baby. We get a live concert right now. Oh man, no, that that's the one. But yeah, like I would say that's that's the thing that I really want people to take away from this book is that, you know, how black Jimmy is and how, you know, black his music is and how big of an influence he was and how he was influenced by those who come before him and then how he influences those who come after him. That's that's incredible. And so tell people like when it's coming out, like when they can get their hands on it or eyes on it, like God willing, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> let me check the date. <laughs> like, let me check my email. Yeah, see what the publisher said. Yeah, though, let me check where the last thing. Okay. Ju- uh, July 30th, 2024. This year, July 30th, Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze, the original graphic novel from Titan Publishing. You can go to Titan's website and order it. Or I really encourage people to go to their local comic book store and order it or your local bookstore and order it there. Because, you know, Amazon and them got more yeah. than enough money as already. Titans didn't get the money where you yeah. buy it from. But support your local combo book shop. It's written by me, DJ Ben Amin, and my brother Mello Brown. And it has art by, and I have not even got to mention this man's yet name yet. And this is so important. Uh, the art is done by Tom Mandrake, right? And Tom Mandrake is a cat who's been working forever in the game. And when I grew up, I grew up a Marvel head. You know, a heavy Marblehead. So during the, like, 80s, 90s and stuff, he was pretty much strictly DC. Mm. So when they tell us, um, yeah, we got Tom Mandrake doing the book, you know, because he was on the book before we came on the book. So they're like, we have this artist, Tom Mandrake, and they showed me this picture he'd done of Jimmy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. He's dope. You know, dope little artist, you know. And they're like, oh, he's a white guy. I'm like, ah, damn, we got a white dude doing this, you know. But, like, you know, Tom's been on the book. You know, he could do it. So then I started looking up some of his stuff. And I'm like, oh, damn, this motherfucker can really, you know, draw. Like, this yeah. motherfucker, like, he's a classical artist. Like, people know uh, comments like Neil Adams, School of Thought. Like, a very classical, like, everything. He's going to draw you the background. I mean, he's, it's some sick shit this man's going to give you. So I'm like, okay, he can really do it. And then I get on the phone with him. We have a Zoom call. We just vibe immediately. One of our first things was like, I don't want to see any little squiggly musical notes. In the art, that's what I told him, you know. I was like, that's just corny. He was like, thank God you're saying that because I don't want to see any strictly musical notes in this art either. <laughs> yeah. So we started vibing. I started looking yeah. up some of his work. He had this uh, book 
he was doing uh, the Spectre back in the day, and he has this splash page, which is like a, you know one of the front pages in a comic book, and it was all these black people on it, and it was like they were in the hood. They had, but it's the '90s, so they had flat tops. Dude had the Gumby. Yep. Dude had the you know two parts. You know the noses were big, the lips, but not caricature. But like everyone was individually black, and I was like, oh, this white boy is on it. So you think I, he? Uh, you think he went to the hood like uh, the white dude from that uh, Atlanta episode? I, I've never talked about. To- I've never asked Tom about that, but that was something I didn't have to ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that you was just, something. It felt, felt I was like, because I was thinking when, when they said the white dude, I was like, oh fuck, I might have to be like, look, yeah. man, we need this shit to be black as fuck. And I was like, okay, I don't have to tell him that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, everybody's gonna be black like they need to be. So you know, we got that through, and then, so the more I learn about him, whatever, I'm going around. You know, I start writing a book, and I start telling people about it. I'm like, yo, uh, Tom Landry's doing the art. Anyone who's involved in comics, when I'm like, Tom Mandrake is doing their art, their eyes fall out of their head, their jaw drops to the floor. Come to find out Tom Mandrake is not, I mean, he, you know, I'm like, oh, he's great. No, this man's a fucking legend. Yeah. Like, he's worked with everyone in the game. He's done everything you can imagine. You know, his, he's Hall of Fame cat. End of story. So, when I, this is something else I've never experienced. I've never experienced getting pages back. Mm. When you write a story and then someone sends you the art yeah. of your pages. I, dog, I there's a I tell people, right, the opening, there's a two-page spread in the first, it goes one page, and then it opens to this two-page spread. That two-page spread is worth the price of admission, worth the whole book. It's worth ten times this book. I can tell stories off of that two-page spread. For the rest of my life, if I wanted, it's, it's so much story. And I told Tom, I'll tell people what it is. I told Tom, Jimmy Hendrix is performing at an intergalactic concert. I think there might be one or more lines of description. Yeah, because I told, I don't want to yeah. say what's going on in it, but I told people it's something of what, I, you know, a little something about what's going on. And then this motherfucker just creates this world. And it's just like, it. it is that, I'm telling you, I've looked at this two-page spread so much to yeah. there's so many little details in it and that's like every page and people who i've shown it to and tom himself is like i put some of my best into this mm. like he was like that was another moment where i'm like oh we got some shit when he was like yeah i'm really inspired by what you guys are writing and i'm looking down the line of the authors he's written and you know drawn for and it's everyone that i've ever admired so when he's like, no, I, I'm fucking with what y'all writing, I'm like, when we, you know, this this can't be that bad. Yeah. You know, this is something. And then that's something like, really, I could have written some shit, and this art would carry me yeah. all the way. <laughs> so, like, but that's dope, man. You that, could buy this book for his art, and you're good. But that, that's, that's dope that he, like, appreciates the work that you did. And mm. I hope that you, you know, we talked about big ego, low self-esteem. I hope you understand that you deserve that. Oh, thank you, you deserve that praise. Mm. You deserve the the praise that's going to be coming to you once this comes out, folks. Please, please check out this uh, this graphic novel, Purple Haze. Um, yeah, Jimmy Hendrix, Purple Haze from Titan Publishing. The, congratulations! Can't wait for it to come out. Can't wait for people to see it. Um, please tell people how they can follow you. Keep up with what you're doing. All right, word. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I know I'm we've at- had a few drinks. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, so. All social media, you can follow me at DJ Benjamin. That's D J B E N H A M E E N. 
You can also follow my podcast at For All Nerds. That's F O R A L L Nerds N E R D S. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had to think about that one. For All Nerds, we talk about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. Shout we, to Tatiana. Shout to co-host. Tatiana King, my co-host. Shout to Chico Leo, my original other partner, and Jamie Rigetti, even the original Fantastic Four. And as always, like we always do, rest in peace. Shout out to my brother and mentor, and you know, just. The man who changed my life in ways I'll never be able to repay him for, Combat Jack Reggio Say, who, you know, I was the original DJ for the Combat Jack yep. show, and he's the one who helped found the For All Nerds show, and so, you know, all praise to him. And, uh, yeah, you can follow For All Nerds on all platforms. You can follow DJ Ben Amin on all platforms. I'm on Twitch. I'm on Twitter. I'm really loving Threads and uh, Instagram, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's where I'm at, too. Y'all can follow me at Frodo underscore Blackens, and I'm both Threads and uh, Instagram. Yeah, you know, I had to I embrace know it. that one. Had Frodo Blackens? Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Blackens it's or Blackens? Short King 2024, baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you can follow the show at Official Drunk Black History on Instagram and Threads as well. Did you, Be- see, <laughs> did you see the Short King thing on SNL this week? No. Oh, God. I don't want to. It's... I, I embrace it's short king. But I don't need no other motherfuckers to tell me how to embrace short king. <laughs> no, okay? They don't. They don't. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> but if you're watching on YouTube, push that subscribe button so you get alerted about all future episodes we have. And again, if you're in New York City or if you're not, you can join us on live stream Saturday, February 10th for our live show, Drunk Black History at Caveat NYC, oh, 7 p.m. Eastern working. Standard Time. Uh, can you come through after? I'm, We're gonna be hanging. What? Yeah. What time y'all go to? The 7 p.m. show. But it's gonna go till not. I mean, it's kind of early. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll yeah, figure, we'll it figure it out. out. I'll, I'll be there one way to Again, other. Saturday, February 10th, live show, Drunk Black History. Nice. Come through in NYC, caveat NYC. Uh, tickets are available at drunkblackhistory.com. DJ Ben Hamid, thank you so much for joining me tonight. No, man, Hope thank you. Hope you get home safe. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I'm taking a lift. This is, you know, thank you so much. This is really amazing. I'm, you know, honored to be your inaugural guest. Thank you, man. Yeah. I, this is a long time coming. I was excited to have you on. I'm excited when you agreed to it. I was more excited when you said you want to talk about Jimi Hendrix because it's wild for me because I have like immediate like things I know about him, which is that he's a great guitar player, mm-hmm. that he was legendary in the rock genre, um, and he was a legendary black artist, and he died at 27. He died yeah. very young, and it's dig more deeper into like his soul, like his soul, his approach to work with wasn't for everybody, and just like the work that you've done on behalf of like his story. Everything just it just made sense. Yeah, so. I like I said, I just want people to remember, you know, how black he was, how weird and how nerdy he was, and how that was like such a part of his persona, and how that went into his music, and how I think you know more people should just embrace that and like just him being himself, you know. And he was yeah. really about yo, I'm going to be this, I'm going to make this type of music. I really don't care what other people think. This is my life, yeah. and that's something that I've you know, been realizing a lot lately is like, you know, and something I've always done, but it's like, I've been more about it. It's like, yo, this is the only life you live. Just do what, you know, makes you happy. Do what you love. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, do that shit. And that's what I feel like he really did. I mean, he definitely, you know, lived fast and died young, but you know, the impact is still there. Fully subscribe to that, bro. Yep. Cheers. I want to live a long life though, you know, for real. Yep. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. (laughs)